to Brave the Year. Um, my name is Jack Duplock, your host. In this podcast, I want to... In this podcast, I talk to artists. Within the studio environment, about their practice and their studio in general. In part one, I talked to the artist Reese Jones. I've known Reese for almost 20 years now. First meeting with the Royal Academy School of Art when I was in the third year and he was in the first year. Then later, my circle of artists and friends who hanged out and were involved with the two project spaces, Rockwell and Keith Towning Gallery, during the early 2000s. Reese was one of the co founders of Rockwell Space. Key Talent was run and founded by two friends of mine, uh, Andrew Clarkin and Simon Puddock. Both, both were based in Hackney, London. This is an exciting period to be an artist, when several project spaces and shows were set up and created in abandoned warehouses or relatively cheap spaces, mainly situated around the East End. Both Rockwell and Keith Talent were based around artist studios and organised monthly programmes of well-created shows. We briefly discussed this period and its uh, significance to Reese's uh, development as as an artist and also about the Royal Academy School of Art amongst other other subjects such as teaching and music. Reese makes uh, beautiful drawings made up of uh, complex layers of charcoal that is then meticulously erased to re- to reveal areas of light and dark- darkness. Recent work depict landscapes with a cubic or cylindrical monolith of light emerging from the darkness, evoking the sublime, the romantic sublime, but also a filmic in appearance, referencing science fiction films such as Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 uh, Space Odyssey. Since even the Royal Academy in 2002, he has exhibited extensively. He has had works shown in the Drawing Room London, All Visual Arts London, uh, Torrance Art Museum, uh, uh, California, Worcester Projects New York, Triumph Gallery, Moscow. Recently, he was in the group show The Gulf Between at Culturehus Durand, Dunhort, Belgium, and In This Land Is Our Land, a paper in, in Manchester, created by Simon Woolham and Stephen Walter. He'll be showing some work in the group show A Dreadful Day, which opens this month at Paul Stolberg Gallery in London. A conversation was held in his studio in Marland on a cold evening in December 2018. This conversation Reese, um, is in two parts because um, we actually talked for over two hours so I thought um, it'd be quite wise to um, Divide into two parts. I hope you enjoy.
you can't get a studio, so you have to sublet for a bit, and then yeah. you get your foot in the door. And uh, and I was on, I was over near the approach gallery behind there on Bonner Road, and um, oh, then, yeah, they're, they're they're really nice places. They're things. great studios. Yeah. Um, and there were some really lovely people in there, and John Wilkins had his studio by complete coincidence next door to me, and. We used to sort of communicate through the breeze block occasionally, go around each other, see those for cups of tea. And then I came here and sublet off somebody upstairs. And then this used to be Des Lawrence's studio. You know Des Oh, yeah, yeah. And it kind of technically still is. We, we technically share it. But he's got, he's got another studio as well. And so I've had the run of this place for about five years, I think. It's pretty good. Yeah. So you, it's probably something to me because I... Just walked into a studio like I, um, I met Will Martyr in uh, Well, Well Studios because <clears throat> he had one of those studios as well. And then when we got kicked out, he managed to get a new, uh, like a one of the new studios in Atomy, yeah. and he needed someone to sublet it for him. And so I came with him, and then. We'd moved from one studio to the other, and now he's moved out, and I've got the whole studio to right. myself. Yeah. So it's kind of really oh, good. Oh, so he was sense. the guy that, because I visited your current studio yeah. in Peckham, and he was the guy that had the other end of the studio. That's and right. now you've got the run of it. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so lucky to have this, because, I mean, it's December now, and it's, it's hot, it's, it's heated. These are really good studios, actually. They're it? lovely studios. The only thing I would change about it is if I could be really picky is I would have ground floor access because it's first floor and I don't like lugging massive frame drawings up the stairs. And I would have higher ceilings yeah, if I could really do that. You I can't really do big, big Actually, no, if I could have exactly what I wanted, I'd, I'd, have, I'd live next door and have a fucking huge house with an enormous studio. Or have like own a warehouse. Whatever, yeah, yeah. 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 I, if I could yeah. have it exactly what I wanted, but considering I can't have that, this is definitely the next best. Yeah, because it's twenty five minutes from my house, and you know, it's quiet apart from the sirens outside. And uh, do you get do you get to? Um, you use that a lot during the week. I mean, how many days yeah. do you teach? I teach 100 days a year. And that's enough. And it isn't quite enough to pay the bills if I don't... If there's no... If art isn't making money, which, as you know, goes up and down, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, if art isn't making money, then that's not enough to live off. So I have to do other jobs. So I, if I come in here at weekends, which I mostly do, I can get three or four days a week in here. And if I'm loaded beyond my wildest dreams, I can do that and get a day off at the weekends as well. You know, without having to do the eight or nine different jobs that we do. Yeah. <laughs> How many jobs have you had this year? I think I've had a different jobs. I've actually, I, um, I've only, I've still got this, this one job. But Cooking? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chefing? Making food, but I kind of rely on Chloe a lot because obviously she's the main owner of our kind of relationship. But she's got a proper job. She's got a proper job, and she's happy to do that. But I'm always like thinking I probably need to like. I'm very reliant on Tara. 
get again, you know, make more money. Yeah. Because it's like it's you doing the you do the art because you want to do it, but also you kind of think, well, yeah, but it it needs to be my living as, as well, or and part think, of my living. And I think we've proved by now that this is what we do. Yeah. And that there's a conversation around how we do it, and um, I can't imagine myself being as involved in anything else. And in the past, it's made me quite a lot of money sometimes. You know, it's kind of shown me a little, it's shown me a little uh, taste yeah. of, of the fact that it can pay for itself from time to time. And so you kind of, um, I, I can't, I know I can't make money as well doing anything else that I've tried ever as I have done making art. So even though that's such a naive statement in the current climate, I can't think of backing anything else. Yeah. But I don't give a shit because I just think as long as Tara's happy with her lot and doesn't feel like I'm vampiric. And her her work is really interesting. And she she's doing pretty well, isn't she? She's yeah. doing well. She's yeah. a she's freelance. Yeah. As well. And she's a um but it's more production stylist. More so. like there's jobs like do you she, get she's more? she's officially making more money than I am. Yeah. More regularly than, yeah, I, yeah. than I am. And every now and again I kind of she employs me and I help her out. And I like that. I've got no issue with that at all. But I I'd love it if we could, you know, pay the bills a bit more. Yeah. Less stressfully. But I don't think I need art to do much more than that financially. I was talking to somebody else about it the other day and we were sort of saying, if you really break it down, what you expect from your studio practice financially isn't very much. You expect it to pay for itself and to pay your rent yeah. and mm -hmm. to pay your, for your food. And, and then everything else that happens on top of that is kind of bonus territory, isn't it? Yeah. And That's it's not very responsible. But I don't think the world's a very responsible place anyway, so fuck it. And we've kind of chosen like a career that's kind of it's sort of um, you, you might make loads of money but you might you, you kind of like it's kind of a strange um, Even if you did I mean, if you, I, mean I yeah. sometimes worry about the people who are making loads of money like, that looks really fucking stressful. Like I, th I have, a, I've kind of moments where I'm like, oh my god, I'm like forty three, and there's people who are like head of, like, yeah. companies yeah. or yeah, um, real partners, partners in law firms and stuff, and they're forty three, and I'm, I'm still kind of scratching a career like a. <clears throat> Or even if it's someone creative, but in a different industry, you can see they've got a kind of career arc. Yeah. And they're kind of saying, well, in five years' time, I need to be doing this, this and this. And you kind of think, you can't... I mean, I know young artists, people half our age who have just graduated, who do think like that. That's Which is quite scary, because, you know... I never thought like that. I know, I, I kind of... Straight... I thought I did art to avoid that conversation. And now <laughs> the artists, the successful younger artists, are having that conversation. And they're really nailing it as well. They're really doing it. And you kind of go, oh. 
Well, you don't realise you've got to run it like a business. <laughs> but it's not just a business. I don't think it's even just a business thing. I think they literally look at their ambition for what they do. Yeah. And they say, they have a plan. Like a proper plan. It's quite scary, isn't it, really? Because I didn't have a plan at all. I left the Royal Academy and went, oh, oh, I need to get a job, don't I? Yeah. Now. Well, we, you did art handling, didn't you? Uh, no, I, I did, did um, worked audio guides. Oh, yeah. So we were both employed by the Royal Academy. Yeah, which is a horrible, and turned out to be a horrible head job. Head. But um, <clears throat> it was like the people who, who, who were working on the same, doing the same thing as me, were all, they were kind of artists or they were kind of students or they, so it was like, the people you work with was great fun, but the management was horrible. Right. And stuff, right. so. Uh, Isn't that true? And you end up like, you're doing it for job. like two years and you're like, I've had enough so of this. Yeah. But the problem with that is it's, it's, too, it's too close to art, isn't it? It's too yeah. close to what you want to be doing anyway. So you're just yeah. carrying someone else's shit around or promoting someone else's shit in a way that isn't rewarding or creative. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite lucky because I started tutoring really early on. Well, almost, you... as, almost as soon as we finished at the Royal Academy. Or as soon as I finished at the Royal Academy. Because you just like got invited to do a... Uh... An I artist did, talk and then they like you, so yeah, in a couple a window. Yeah, I went and did some. Well, Tony then, who taught us at the Royal Academy, yeah, asked me to come in and do some days, sort of critically enthusing his first year at Farnham, and I was almost like running like a clinic, like a kind of critical contextual clinic for students, where you kind of go in and just say, "Did you realise that this is?" relevant to this or have you seen this and almost like a sort of a GP clinic thing where you just see shitloads of them in one day and just and I did that quite regularly and that was really good fun and and I did a couple of visiting lectures at various other art schools and then I was hassling Alex Jean Morrison who was running Rockwell along with the other bunch of people who were running Rockwell I was hassling him because he was teaching at City and Guilds of London Art School and, and I just said, I, I want to come and do a day a day's teaching to hear the sound of my own voice and practice talking about my work. And I went and did that and then it, luckily for me a couple of the students who I did tutorials with said to the fella, can you come and do another day or two? So That's pretty good. I did. And then someone, someone went on maternity leave and I covered for her and I've been teaching there for 14 years. She didn't come back. So she you moved out of the country. You basically took her place. Yeah, and then it just sort of grew from there. And, and actually, over time, <coughs> um, a lot of the people who we'd set up that project space with started working there as well. I think the guy who runs that course was really enthusiastic about that project space, about Rockwell. And I think he was really enthusiastic about the energy that came out of it. Of course, what he ended up with was what, what he's now got, which is a troop of middle-aged, curmudgeonly <laughs> people. Yeah. But we must have seemed pretty bouncy and fresh. and Yeah. You know. Although now we're probably much better at being tutors than we were then, because we were kids to begin with. So we've all learned, how to, same we've all learned how to do our education while we were there as well. Yeah, yeah. Because you're almost kind of like... 
same age as a lot of the students in, in a way when you started. The yeah. MA, the City and Guildsman Art School, is, I have to say that. Have you noticed I said the whole thing? You've got to call it that. MA, City and Guilds. Because if you just say City and Guilds, it's really confusing. Because there's a City and Guilds qualification. Oh, uh, yeah, there is. Yeah, um, yeah. The MA there is, is relatively speaking, a, a little bit more mature. Okay, it's people who've gone out of education yeah. and come well, back. Yeah, yeah, people who've had some time doing another thing and then come yeah. back. And then um, a lot of them, a lot of the people in the course. And then, so if for the first few years I felt like a kid compared to them, compared to some of the people I was working with, which was daunting. Have you done any of it? I did early on, yeah. Like I went, I, I did some teaching at my... Um, Old university in Southampton, <clears throat> and then uh, what on the regular? There was a period where they needed someone to come in for a month, like two days a week, and I did that. Um, but I did find a lot of the time you're walking around the studios, and there were no students at all until until lunchtime. That, I mean, that was the same when we, when I was a student, so it was kind of. It's not like that. But in Kennington it's not uh, like that there. there's always <laughs> students here yeah it's and the place is kind of academically loaded up so they've got a lot to do and they're sort of especially the MA if they don't come in they miss it just blink and they miss it well also I can imagine they're paying for it so and now they're paying a, for it well they were always kind of for it there as well yeah. it, was, it wasn't a, it was a yeah it was always a fee paying school yeah. but um, yeah that's true everyone's paying for it now they're much more keen maybe or less privileged maybe I don't know or maybe they're privileged to be able to pay for it it's quite complicated politically but yeah I don't, yeah art schools are art schools are kind of funny really odd at the moment I think many of them I mean you get people really keen and then you get people who like just turn up like sporadically I, I don't want to spend ages blowing smoke up the arse of the place I work in but I do definitely think that the way it set itself up it's in the minority at the moment in terms of the way that it gives the students something in terms of a kind of bespoke experience and I think as an art school if you can't talk to people face to face about what they themselves are interested in you're fucked you can't battery farm that it's not like geography or physics or computing is it? And so the fact that so many art schools have to subscribe to that model is a bloody travesty, I think. It's a shame. Don't you? <coughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we may have to work with Roxy of the actual institution that but even but but there just seems to be this sense that on the whole because of financial trimming the the student experience is that they see less they have less conversations with tutors about what they're doing exactly they've got less space to do what they're doing they can take less risks there's a sort of um there's less space to fail you just are kind of processed and I don't think that's the fault of the people on the ground. I think there's really good artists in, in 
art schools all over the country trying their best to talk to students about what they're doing. But I just don't think that the infrastructure's there to support that. And it's well, not like money where I'm for like you know, we can talk to students. Yeah. So it's not a joyless experience. For it for either me or the students. You know. And if it was, I'd leave. Because yeah. it doesn't pay enough anyway. <laughs> it's not it's not glamorous. Well it's good there's this like interaction with the 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 tutors and the, really the students and stuff. Yeah. Because uh, that was kind of the good thing about being at college is that you're hanging out with yeah. artists and stuff. Yeah. And they're slightly eccentric stuff. <clears throat> yeah, and just the luxury of being paid to have conversations that are about the kind of micro politics or the micro yeah. um, interests of people who are 20 years younger than me. To sit in someone's studio and be schooled on, I don't know, gender issues or, or sexual politics or um, just the effect of social media and all those kinds of things that I think I can draw conclusions about from my own perspective. To sit and talk to much younger artists about that stuff is a bit of a privilege, really. And I do get That's to really do that. You know. I get, I get... Puts a new perspective school. on your own work as well, I think. Like, and that's kind I of think the, so. That's the... That's what I enjoyed about teaching. Yeah. So, I mean, I, quite interesting, because obviously... I remember uh, Rockwell mm. um, going to the pri- going to the early private pri- years early on. Those messy private <laughs> They were messy, weren't they? Or is it's, that just my memory of it? But I think I always left before the mess because I think there were some of you staying living yeah. there as well. Loads yeah, of yeah. people were. Li- I wasn't. Yeah. Loads of people were living there. It's quite interesting to see that where that building building is now, the Handy Downs. It's like there's a posh wine bar and a Tesco's, and there's yeah. still studios on the level. But it's a photographer's studio. It's designer studios because I had a friend who had a studio there. Oh, really in the middle, expensive. And a bit below. Rockwell. I think in the middle. Yeah. Because yeah. Rockwell was on the top floor, which is now a photographer's yeah. studio. Okay. But yeah, really expensive. We were paying yeah. three pound a square foot so when we were so paying. It's kind of really cheap. Yeah, and then the landlord yeah. was illegal, and he bl- he broke a lot of laws. Well, it's about. I think there was a crack house next door as well, wasn't there? Wasn't no, well, there was, that had big house next door. Was there was, point? Yeah, yeah, there was. Some, I'm not sure exactly what was going on in there, but there was a. There was a dude living when we first set it up. There was a dude living in the car. This guy was living in the car, out the front, which right. you wouldn't have seen him because I think I think we got I think we moved him. So the car park. Outside. Well, there was a car park out the yeah. front, and his. There was an abandoned car. Someone had just driven this car into the car park and just left it there. And then this guy moved in. And when we started doing the space up, we needed access to the building. And the car was effectively blocking the door. So we we bumped the car. And pushed it. We bumped it into yeah. the street. You know, you know, if a car's on its handbrake, if you really bounce it, you can make it yeah. jump. And we sort of bounced it into the street. And then it got towed, which we felt a bit guilty about because someone was um, living in it. 
And I think, yeah, I think he was... I don't think he really noticed. <laughs> I don't think... I think he just made other arrangements. But we didn't really... He wasn't up for talking, that guy. And there was another dude who used to just use the front door as a toilet every day. Nice. He was a really interesting bloke. He was dressed like a kind of pimp. Like he had a big faux fur leopard skin coat and a big yeah. fuck off hat. And he was, he, and loads of jewellery. And he was really pimped out. But he just loved pissing on our front door. So we had to ask him not to. It wasn't a wine bar at the time. No. There was a second hand shop there for a bit. Well, it was, it was hardly anything there. There was nothing there. Time. Then there was a second hand shop, which was really good second hand shop. Yeah. And now it's, okay. Um, and now it's a wine bar. Yeah. No, no, that's a Tesco's and the wine bar's sort of next door. Next door, that's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there used to be a petrol yeah. station. Used to be a garage there. And that just isn't, isn't there anymore. But yeah, you're right, there's still studios. I just guess they're probably charging about £20. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you do, do, when did it, when did it start, start then, the Rock World? 2002. When, did you, so basically when you graduated from the Rock yeah. Academy, was Me, it kind of like you're looking for studio spaces? And you my brother it? drove it, but he's not an artist. Okay. Did you ever meet my brother? No, I don't think so. He was in theatre, he was like a stage manager. And okay. He was a really ambitious guy and kind of... Um, quite brave and he he just fancied living in a warehouse he just thought that was a good thing to do and he wanted I think he wanted a sort of bohemian that sort of vibe to yeah. yeah yeah and and he wanted to live with loads of other people and he he pitched it to I think he thought that a good way of doing it was to get artists involved because then there could be studios and that would mean that there'd be a whole bunch of people who'd be paying rent who wouldn't live there so the people who lived there wouldn't be that many which was a good idea. Yeah, and yeah. I wanted a studio. And he was talking to me and my friends about it. And so, of course, a lot of my friends needed somewhere to live. And so they all jumped in with him. And we built we built it. We demolished the factory interior that was there and built the studios first. And started renting the studios out. And the people who were living there lived in their studios for the first... And we did it really slowly. Because we didn't know what to do. That's just like a mattress on the floor. Yeah. Kind of thing. And so they were all living in their yeah, studios yeah. for like six months. Yeah, yeah. It's really funny because I think it's become a bit mythologised. So you tell the story about it and you kind of, I kind of wonder how much of it is true. But I think actually the story is more rock and roll than what we say it is. Well, it's going to be always, it's, it's there always some the really truth. Weird so that's shit. always the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was some really weird, kind of a grimness to it. Yeah. And Hackney, that part of Hackney was called Murder Mile, wasn't it? Yeah, it was still kind of quite rough around there when and now it's 2003 so and stuff. And now, now it's, it's just famous for, yeah. for, for being where hipsters brew coffee. And <laughs> yeah. it's just not... It, or beer. And I said, well, other. yeah, I wonder whether that's our fault. You know, am I making your um, noises with my sketchbook? You know. It's probably our fault. But, I mean, to both sides, it's that... That cycle of artists moving into like poor places and then yeah, that's the way London's naturally gentrified I mean, itself over the years, isn't it? That's what Shoreditch was. Yeah, was a bunch of art studios or and like galleries like, and yeah. stuff like in the early nineties. Before the galleries, it was just yeah. studios, and then before the studios, it was 
workshops and prostitutes, sex workers and, and drug dealers and yeah, because I heard about this. Um, someone was talking about um, is it Helen Chadwick, the artist who died. Mm. It, um, I think it was like a Radio Four program about um, artists that have not had um, that much. Uh, haven't really been talked about that are important in the context of art history and Helen Chadwick was one of them mm-hmm. and uh, they were talking about um, that she lived in an Acme house in Beak Street when Acme used to have houses and um, they were like they were basically shitholes in Beak Street in Soho uh, not Beak Street um, there's a street off they had a lot of houses kind uh, of in Broadway, off Broadway Market. Right. There's and a one have, street that goes they down to. They had houses on Approach Road as well. Uh, at one point. I thought it was called Big Street, but that's you know that yeah. Maybe it was called Big Street. But it's quite interesting. And uh, Maureen Paley had a house there as well. Wasn't she, that where she ran her first yeah. space out? What was that street? And it's really small, quite twee houses. Yeah. Um, I never visited that. That it was, was quite interesting to know because now they're probably really expensive. Of course they are. Kind of that there was a there was there was like a community of artists down there doing stuff. And it sounded quite exciting in the early it must it must be The early early nineties. Late eighties. Um, or even earlier maybe when the eighties. Because there was like a crash in ninety five, wasn't there? And I think a lot of a lot of galleries and art and Artists took that opportunity to take over buildings yeah, right. and stuff. Yeah, and prior to that, what was it, 87? Like down Curtin Road, there was a lot of like empty spaces that you could take over. And Broadway Market was legitimately dangerous. Yeah, well, there was only two pubs, wasn't it? And there was the, the Cat and Mutton. It was a really rough pub. Which was rough. And you then the Dove, which I think has always the been... The Dove has always just been what it is, yeah, that yeah. Belgian... Well, no, I don't know. I mean, it kind of always been a Belgian beer pub. Must have been. But there's the Albion down well, yeah. the football pub. Which is still the same. Which is exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm only remembering, I'm only remembering the late 90s. And, uh, but I remember the bottom end of the, all of London Fields and Broadway Market was, you took your life into your own hands if you were wandering about at night. Yeah. Which is odd when you think about it, when you look back on it now. It's now, it's kind of like... You, it's relatively so safe. Tourist. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah. Tourist hangout. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I work on Broadway Market. And, um, right, yeah. Which was changed a lot. Funnily enough, it wasn't, there wasn't a market on Broadway no. Market. Yeah. It was just a dead zone. I, mean, I think um, the market changed the vibe of the place yeah. Yeah. dramatically because it, I remember when it was just a few stalls like in the 2000s and, then, and it's sort of, now it's just, it's just round yeah. people. I used to live on Hackney Road when that market started and you could just see the area just change yeah and of course it was bad that was bad for certain artists I mean there was those what's his name who ran that gallery on Broadway Market that was good there was a good couple of galleries oh Flacker Gallery yeah Flacker Tom, Tom Flacker yeah I mean that, that was, was really good that was good space. he owned that I think he did alright because he owned it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think he just had enough of running galleries running maybe because it was basically his was house gallery, and he there's no overheads apart from right. probably a mortgage. It was in his basement, wasn't it? Yeah. But that was cool. That was that was 
ostensibly a project space as well. Yeah. It was one of those spaces that you don't really, there aren't really spaces like that, that much anymore. Not anymore, because there's no space, there's, there's no empty spaces. Space where people could just go, well, what if I put on a Prophet Royal Robertson show curated by Paul Johnson in my basement for a month? You know, there's not many people doing that. There's still people trying and doing it, but it's, it's rarer, isn't it? <clears throat> it felt like that area at the time, Keith Tallon. There's a million miles per hour as well. million miles per hour and, and Lounge and MOT and, and Rockwell and, and, and uh, Flacker and... Um, there's another one. There were loads. That had like a club underneath. So the private view. Oh, not the Russian club. Uh, no, no. It was, it was like in the, the area of like... Um, of that bit. It's near Bethel Green, I think. I think it was called VTO or oh, something fuck, like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I went to one private view there, and it was like three floors, and down at the bottom they basically had. Um, that was it. That was it. Off it was Hackney Road, Road between Hackney Road and Bethel Green. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was run yeah. by Sepertain. Near where Union is now. Right yeah. There. yeah. 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 Who ran the nerd club? So I had like. I wasn't cool enough to know about that club. I used uh, to go there to see shows sometimes. Well, it was just like a after they just had their. After show party in the same building, basically. Nice. That's yeah. cool. We benefited from the fact that the next door building at Rockwell was owned by, run, run by Shiva Sound System. Do you remember that? No, I don't. So they were like, um, there was just this bunch of DJs. This is kind of like constant. They were good, like, they were good people. And, um, you know, we're still in touch with them. We still know them now. And we, you know, we made friends with them, and they were just that was just it just drove the kind of slightly hedonistic. But didn't you didn't you have like parties going till three or four in the morning after it the did. private view? Yeah, it did do that. It did do that. Yeah, yeah, it did. I do remember the private views getting quite smoky, quite rammed, and people smoking cigarettes against artworks and stuff. No, I, I remember we did. <laughs> there were a couple of occasions when we right. we would put shows on in such good faith and people would trust us, and there were a yeah. couple of occasions when we did make a couple of little boo-boos, little errors, and you had to make a phone call and say, um, we dropped the ball, sorry. And everyone was just really fucking cool about it. I think, it I just think ended they up being understood that it was a naive experiment and that yeah. we were all having fun doing it. And I think there was just this sort of general understanding that it was a little bit of a pirate ship. Yeah. And that was sort of okay. It was kind of that era <coughs> yeah, of galleries okay. that were just pirate we ship. Yeah, we didn't hurt anybody. And um, just you just wanted to put up a show. Yeah, and have really a party. Yeah, you wanted to put people's work on the wall. I'm going to show you all that, didn't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it, I think it was that I think it was just those I just remember those in inverted commas meetings where we'd all be sat in what you've got to put inverted commas around everything in this in this part of the conversation in inverted commas meetings in the in inverted commas kitchen next to the in inverted commas gallery near the in inverted commas toilet at Rockwell we would have conversations and it was just beautiful, who do we know? And of course the roller decks when you're 26 or however old we were is really small. Yeah. So you just go, so who are we enthusiastic about? 
and kind of know at least within three degrees of separation that we can talk to and, and show their work. And the, I think we showed the hundreds of people in the five years we did it in various shows with no budget or sponsorship from the Arts Council. I think one show had Arts Council backing. So did you fund, because you'd we just made threw the hat amazing impacts and yeah, stuff like but that. We just, but we just paid for them out of our own... We just used to pass the hat around the, the studios. So I suppose, yeah, I suppose you just need a couple hundred quid or something. 500 quid. We worked out that we could do it. 500 quid, we'd get the printout and the postage. And um, we'd just sit and smoke weed and drink lager and put all the envelopes, stuff the envelopes... It wasn't. That was, that it was wasn't tactical, but it was right. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we learned a lot by doing it, you know. And the mistakes we made didn't end up hurting anybody, you know. And we had a couple of little moments where we learned on the job about running a space, you know. But on the whole, I just felt like people trusted us. And I think the reason was because we never pretended to be anything that we weren't. Like we didn't say, "Oh, we're an amazing." Thing. I, and I think that's what a mistake the mistake happens and I think Keith Talent starts to think that they were great but to be fair to Keith Talent they did evolve because yeah. they started out freezing their tits off I remember seeing them well, their office with their was gloves on in their office which was like <laughs> it was like a toilet basically yeah I mean another in the <laughs> like, office you know. yeah. and them smoking like joints and yeah, drinking same beer. sort of thing and freezing their nuts off yeah. and doing it for all the right reasons and then of course they had a fearlessness and an ambition and they, you get in over your head don't you yeah I mean it's pretty amazing they set up an art fair and a magazine a fucking art fair I mean magazine. can you imagine and, running an art fair and uh, Andrew his job his part time job or his full time job whatever was selling advertising so he nicked yeah, this book yeah, yeah. of all yeah. the it's so and that's how they it's kind of very... And of course they did, you know, they did famously, it got really controversial and, you know, you can... You yeah, know, well they made kind of some stupid mistakes. Basically. They made some really stupid and decisions. But, but, I don't know man, I mean, sort of money got just, the we money. followed their model when we set up our thing, we went to them for advice. Yeah. I remember going around there and saying, we're going to do a thing, what do you reckon? And they were like, yeah, definitely, you should. And I don't think, if, I think if people don't say, yeah, definitely you should, you don't do things, do you? No. I haven't seen either of them for, for years. No. Have you? Um, every now and again I would run into Simon, he, he lives over in, he lives near here. So yeah, when I leave the studio, every now and again Simon I'd a few times, well, once, actually. Uh, down in South London. And, um, yeah, I don't know, I think our friendship is kind of, well, didn't they represent you? Yeah, and then I left. I mean, that's different. That's different. It's professional, and yeah. it's like you know, that's not going to end well unless it ends well. Well, it's friendship and business. <laughs> yeah, they say you shouldn't mix those things, and it's, kind of, it's quite true. I think it's really funny because I've, I've, um, everybody I've ever done shows with, in terms of solo shows, outside of that Rockwell thing, I've had a friendship with. Yeah. Variously, in various ways. So, and it's interesting how it pans out in so many different ways. 
that friendship evolves in so many different ways. And the advice I've had from so many people is you shouldn't have friendship with your gallery anyway. That's not what you should do. But I like being friends with people. <laughs> I quite like well, being with people. I can imagine sometimes it, it, it kind of... Um, I can imagine sometimes it would work that some galleries... Well, Andrew Murray is a wonderful person to hang out with. Yeah. And he's also fucking clever about art and curates beautifully, you know. And I never had a... That never became contentious because he was just really supportive but almost almost you could argue almost to a fault because looking back on it um he was so chilled out and he probably should have gone uh reese i'd really like i I think we should work together more so can you not just fuck off and do something with someone else please because we're just building a relationship here and we were such good pals we just didn't talk to each other in a business-like way at all you know and I'm still, still friends with him. So he's still got to get. He's still. He's running a project space in Glasgow. Ah, okay, that's it. Because I'm. And at the moment they're doing a um, a show of Carol Rhodes' work because Andrew worked very closely with Carol Rhodes and she just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And he's worked really closely with her for her for a long time. I was going to say for her whole career, but I can't say that. But for a very, very long time. And always spoke very highly of her and wrote about her and, you know, curated her. And so at the moment, this little project space in Glasgow, as far as I know, has got a couple of her paintings in it. And it's like a sort of... She literally only died a couple of weeks ago. So it's like, it's obviously quite a... I'm assuming it's quite an emotional thing. Because he just goes in that space and sits there on the chair. And if you go, you go and sit in the space on the chair with him talk and look and it's almost like a salon for looking it sounds fucking brilliant I've not been yet he's only been open for a few months so you, do you think you'll do a show there oh god if he asked me to I would. Yeah. but he's but he's it, it, it does sound like a really intense cocktail of mummering in a room with one or two pieces of art oh so it's basically just enough room for like two or three yeah I mean, it almost really, sounds, really like, it sounds like a really positive Samuel Beckett yeah yeah it sounds like it sounds like almost a kind of yeah, like a, like a waiting room type scenario where you, you sort of awkwardly talk and look. But I just but I just think, I can't think of many people other than Andrew Mumbry I'd like to do that with because talking and looking with him is great. Fun, you know. Because he's very inclusive but also just stupidly intelligent. Yeah. And his art history is incredible, you know. And he's funny about what he doesn't like. I'd love him to see this new stuff that I'm making at the moment because he'll hate it. He's going to give me such a hard time. Why would he hate it? I think he's going to. I think he's going to really hate what I've been doing for the past few months in here if he ever sees it. Because, because, um, because <laughs> it's a little bit frivolous. Um, not that he doesn't do frivolous, but I think he doesn't. What he doesn't do is hipster stuff. He's got a real problem with kind of um, things that look knowingly fashionable oh yeah like it really winds him up not that I think that's what I'm doing in here there's a lot of you know I think he he just smells a rat with with artists that I really really respect and admire I've had some brilliant conversations with him in galleries where he's just been like raging against something that I thought was 
What about yeah. the artist's face? Yeah. Well, no, just about the work itself, I think. Yeah. I think he takes it on up face value. Yeah, yeah. But he's great. I love it. Have you met, have you hung out with him? Have you ever met Andrew? Not, I mean, I know who he is. And I think I've been introduced to him. He's just fun. I mean, he, I think at one point he was really um, friends with Beard Souza. Right, yeah. From the yeah, agency, right. and they. I didn't know they were friends. They, I think they, t- one year they did um, Arco and they split the gallery. Space. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> but I don't know whether she's still friendly. I can imagine she would be, but I. T- you know. No doubt. I mean, he's you know as I said he's in Scotland now. Yeah. Um, but he's just one of those guys. I always bring him up in conversation because I just think he's one of but those he people. Who, yeah, he appears to be a very nice, but very nice guy. He's in it for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again might have hurt him because he threw everything he had financially and emotionally at running galleries in London when the gallery scene in London became so difficult to do that in and that's that's hard it's hard not to get chewed up by that but on the other hand he's one of the godfathers of the East London art scene yeah you know I think everybody respects him they should so yeah being mates with him well, putting that on with him was end of part one of my conversation with uh, uh, Reese Jones. Uh, next week will be part two with my conversation with Maria. I would like to thank uh, Richard Hoyle for making the intro music and most of all I'd like to thank Reese for giving me time and having a conversation with me. I just want to give a brief explanation of some mistakes in this episode. The street where the late artist Helen Chadwick had his studio and Maureen Penning had her first gallery was Beck Street, not Brewer Street. In the 1970s, the row of terraced houses on Beck Street were slated for being demolished. A group of artists began to squat in these houses and use the street as a live-work space. Some, with the help of Acme Studios and Housing Association, ultimately were able to buy these houses from Hackney Council. Maureen Paley opened her gallery at 21 Beck Road in 1984. Finally, I want to talk about the fall and closing of Wellworth Studios and Kitana Gallery. Both founded and run by Andrew Clarkin and Simon Pittock, contemporaries of mine from the Royal Academy's School of Art. I left the gallery in 2008 in not a very amiable way due to differences and other reasons I won't elaborate here. The rule of don't mess with friendship with business comes to mind. Though I'm partly to blame, 
in the way I jumped ship without any warning. Anyway, after talking about this period with Reese, I've come to realise how amazing that short period of time was and how great Simon and Andrew managed to create. A scene out of nothing in a short period of time. Unfortunately, all great scenes often don't last long and through stupid mistakes have to close and people have to move on. Funny, uh, you can check uh, Reese's work on uh, Instagram at Studio R. Jones. And um, yeah, do check the group show uh, Dreadville Day, which is uh, currently on at uh, Paul Super Gallery in London. Thank you. Thank you.